We got a review for Wonder Woman 1984 and Soul coming up on Live Action Remake. Welcome back to Live Action Remake, your source for movie news, TV news, reviews, and recommendations. My name is Diego, and welcome back to our final episode of the year 2020. What a year it has been for movies and TV, right? What a bad year to start a podcast, but you know what? I wanted to do it, so I did it anyway. We got a couple of news for you this week, and we got our reviews for Wonder Woman 1984 and Soul coming up. But first, let's get on to trailers. Now, there's only one trailer worth talking about this week, and that is for Superman and Lois, the show from the CW. You can actually find the trailer on our Facebook page, at Live Action Remake. The show is starring Tyler Holchin from Supergirl and others, various CW shows. He looks great. The trailer doesn't really show us much. It just shows us, you know, Superman, his new suit. He seems to be flying through some crystals, shows pictures of his family and stuff, and saying something motivational about, you know, family and hope, and being strong, you know, all classic Superman stuff. It, it was enough to get me excited. It was only about a minute long, but I'm still very excited for this show. It seems to be one of the last of the Arrowverse shows because of HBO Max and everything that's going on there, so go check out the trailer on our page at Live Action Remake on Facebook. Now on to movie news. DC plans to release four films theatrically, with two of those films on HBO Max every year starting 2022. This includes, quote, riskier characters like Static Shock and Batgirl going straight to HBO Max, as well as theaters. I think this is a very dumb move to be putting riskier characters onto the small screen because riskier characters often do better in superhero movies like Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man, you know, characters that we haven't seen, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, characters that are different, weirder, often do better because we don't want more of the same when it comes to superhero movies. We want different stuff. So why would you put that on HBO Max? Especially Static Shock, who has a great fan base. If you love Static Shock, the show, or if you love Young Justice, where he comes on, which many people do, you'd love to see the movie. So Static Shock has a fan base. And anyone who likes Batman probably will watch Batgirl because it'll include Batman. So why put those on to HBO Max? But... That's just me. Let me know what you guys think about that. Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot are set to complete the Wonder Woman trilogy with a third film that has been greenlit by Warner Brothers just days after the release of Wonder Woman 84. This is fantastic news. We're getting a third Wonder Woman film. You know, I love the original Wonder Woman film. I'll let you know what I think about Wonder Woman 84 very soon. A third film is going to be interesting. It will likely be modern day. I don't see how they're going to go to the 90s or 2000s. You know, that'd be dumb. I'd say just go modern day. What's Diana doing now, finally? But we'll see what happens. You know, I'm, I'm excited. I wonder when this will come out, though, given that Patty Jenkins is set to do a Star Wars film very soon. There has to be a time limit as to when that's going to happen then. I'm not sure. I'm, Gal Gadot, I'm sure, is doing other films as well. She's a big star right now. We'll see when Wonder Woman 3 comes out. Palm Clementif will reportedly reprise her role as Mantis in Thor Love and Thunder. Star-Lord and Groot are already set to be in the film. We'll see if any more Guardians are joining. You know, I love the Guardians of the Galaxy. I would love to see Bradley Cooper's Rocket Raccoon be in Thor Love and Thunder. I think him and Thor have a great relationship. But I'm just glad that we're getting more Mantis. I think Mantis is definitely an underrated character. If you just watch the Guardians films, or well, just Guardians Volume 2 and Infinity War, and just look in the background and see Mantis just having a ball it's always fun for me so just <laughs> i'd recommend watching those movies again and just just for mantis because mantis is hilarious 
Mad Max Furiosa, starring Anya Taylor-Joy, Chris Hemsworth, and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, has a release date of June 23rd, 2023, so it's a couple of years away. We're going to have to wait quite a bit for Mad Max, but it officially has a release date. I'm still excited. I love Anya Taylor-Joy. Let's get more of her, you know. Now on to TV news. WandaVision, which was presumed to have a mere six episodes, will now reportedly have eight, the window of the show being from January 15th to March 5th, which means we'll be getting WandaVision half of January, all of February, into the beginning of March. That's great. I love more Marvel. I'm glad that it's getting more episodes. I think Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany definitely deserve it, and I'm always excited for more Marvel. You know me. And that means the show will end just a few weeks before Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So that's very exciting that we're going to just be getting one Marvel thing after the other. It seems all of 2021. Cobra Kai, which was set to premiere January 8th, has been moved up a week to New Year's Day. Love Cobra Kai. That's going to be a fun binge for me. Very excited for season three. Alice in Borderland from Netflix has been renewed for a season two as well. I have not seen this one, but I have heard very good things. So let me know if I should watch that show. And that's really all the news for the week. There wasn't that much given that the big news was surrounding Wonder Woman 84 and Soul. So let me know what you guys think of the news this week. Are you sad about the boss, baby? Are you excited for Wonder Woman 3, the Superman and Lois trailer? Let me know. Now onto my reviews of Soul and Wonder Woman 84. They're going to be back to back and they are both containing spoilers. I'm going to be starting with Soul right now. So if you haven't seen Soul or Wonder Woman 1984, go ahead and watch those on Disney Plus and HBO Max. You get them for free if you are subscribed to both. So go and check them out and then come back so you can listen to my reviews of both films. Starting in 3, 2, 1. Now, both movies I had similar feelings about because I had such high hopes for both even before the pandemic. Soul with Jamie Foxx, is, he's one of my favorite actors, and Tina Fey is one of the best comedic minds of my lifetime. With an existential premise and Pixar's beautiful animation and a knack for making me feel, I assumed that this would be a surefire hit for me, and in a lot of ways it was, but there definitely was something that took me out of the film, and I'll get to that. But first, let's talk about what I really liked about the film. The music in this film, the jazz, the score, and the feel of it. I think music is often overlooked in films, but it's one of my favorite aspects of it. I loved the music even before the movie because the trailers did such a good job of incorporating it and making you feel like that was going to be a big part of the film, and it was. I loved that part of it. And not even just the music itself, but the visual language when music was played, the colors, how they... Could, you could see characters enjoying and loving the music, and that was a big part of the film, so I appreciate that. The thing I loved most about this movie, which really was a surprise for me, was the very human moments. The, the barbershop, the food, the subway, uh, sitting on a staircase with his student. Pixar has a knack of making these fantastical, huge worlds, but at the same time, they had to do something really different in this film, and that was make human life feel like life. In order for this story to work, life had to be realistic. And Pixar went above and beyond with the animation, with the character work, with the writing, to create a very human world. And I believed it, and I really, really appreciate that. The style and animation of the great before, of death, of souls leaving their body, the world they made in that, I also loved. I loved that part a lot, actually. I wish we went there more, to be honest. It was very reminiscent of Inside Out in that way. That world that was fantastical, but at the same time, you could understand what everything was. 
and it explains something really hard for kids to understand, which is death and before death and maybe after death. Like what is what is all that? And I I think Pixar went above and beyond with that as well. I enjoyed the lessons of the film as well about how we are as human beings we often think that we're made for one thing, that we have to do this one thing and or our life is over. And there are characters like the barber who shows that that's not always the case, that you can be happy doing other things. And it's shown again when Joe, at the end of the film, when he's done doing his big performance, he feels still a little empty. And that's because he wasn't meant to just do that. There's <laughs> Life isn't about just doing one thing. Life is about enjoying everything or being happy in the small moments. And that's harder to do, but it's something that we all have to learn how to do. And I liked that lesson. I thought that was a good lesson to teach kids. Now, to go on to my main grievance with the film. The, my grievance with the film is much larger than the film itself. It, it, it has something to do with Disney in general. And it started with an article I read by Andrew Tejada called Representation Without Transformation, pointing out that black characters like Tiana, Lance Sterling, and now Joe Gardner, all main characters in Disney animated movies. The only main characters in Disney animated movies, I might point out. They're forced to transform into something else about halfway through the film. And at first I was like, that's a little nitpicky, but once I read the article, it it talks about the impact of movies like Mulan and Moana that have that they have on people, and that as a black kid, he very much wanted that, and he was waiting for his character to be inspiring throughout the whole film as themselves, and he never got that because Tiana turns into a frog, Lance Sterling, he turned into a pigeon, and now Joe Gardner. In this article, he was talking about the fact that Joe Gardner turns into a soul. He didn't even, this was before the movie came out, he didn't even know that Joe Gardner spends most of this movie as a cat. And so I read this article before Soul, and so once it got to that point in the film, I was personally upset, upset with Disney and upset in general, where it took me out of the film, and I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I could have then, but the fact that he was a cat throughout most of the film got me very irritated and mad. And I know a lot of people love this film, and a lot of people are okay with that because of, you know, we get to see 22 experience life, and that's that's a cool idea. I'm not against that. My problem with it is that, one, he's a cat, so that's something that Disney has done a billion times. They did it with Brave. This is not a new twist like, oh, you thought this movie was about someone else. But it turns out it's about someone else turning into an animal. And then, you know, there's a lot of hijinks. It, it, Disney has done this a billion times. So I don't think that's a very original trope. But also they had to do it to the main black character. You know, maybe, I, maybe I'm out of place here. I'm a person of color, but I'm not black. So I don't know the entire black experience. I don't know if this offended more people. I feel like I was offended by this, but a white woman was playing a black character and I feel like that's wrong. I just, in my head, I feel like that is wrong and it took me out. Look, maybe I'm overthinking it, but once it got to that point, once it got to the cat and him being a cat, it, it took me out of the film and I couldn't get back into it. I enjoyed the ending. I enjoyed a lot of other parts of it, but that whole chunk of film was just like, oh my god, why do we have to be doing this again? It's not a good twist. It's not. We did this with Brave. We did this with Brother Bear. I also don't like when people turn into animals in general. That's not my favorite trope in a film. It personally, I, I don't, it makes me feel uncomfortable. But overall, other than that, the film I enjoyed, and I think it's worth a watch. I think a lot of people will enjoy it more than I did. Many people love this film despite the cat thing and maybe even for it, I don't know. I still recommend watching it, but it doesn't compare, in my opinion, to films like Inside Out or 
onward or up, you know, better Pixar movies. I didn't end up crying. I think the ending would have got me if they opted for a sadder ending, but they don't. They opt for the happy ending, which was nice. I'm not going to say it was bad, but it was nice. So it really didn't impact me as hard as I feel like it could have. But, you know, a lot of people really, really love this film. I've seen really, really good reviews for this film. So if you go and enjoy it, please do. I just couldn't. Let me know what you think about Soul. And let me know if you enjoyed it. Uh, let me know if I'm wrong, by the way. I don't know. I I'd love to have a discussion about this film with somebody. It, it really made me think a lot. And I think that's a good thing, but who knows? Let me know what you thought about Soul. Now on to Wonder Woman 84. Again, a film I was greatly looking forward to. If you listened last week to my review of the original Wonder Woman, you'd know I think that film has very few flaws. I love Gal Gadot in that film. I think Patty Jenkins is an amazing director. And I was incredibly excited to see what they did next. Now in the first scene of the film, it is a lot more of the same. We get Themyscira, we get some sort of Amazonian Olympics, and we see Diana learn a lesson about truth. When I saw those first few minutes, I was like, okay, we're going to get more of the same. This is going to be pretty cool. She's going to be in the 80s, and she's going to be learning lessons. It's going to be pretty cool. I'm excited. Then we jump, and it became clear to me really fast that this film is a Silver Age, campy, Christopher Reeve-style Superman movie. And if you look at it through that lens, the film works for me. It works enough, at least. It's an enjoyable film with plenty of flaws, more flaws than the first one. But overall, I like it. I think Gal can do the one-liners. I think the jokes work for the most part. And it was definitely entertaining and wacky. But because I love that first film, this film is a disappointment because I can't think of anything that compares to the No Man's Land scene or I Choose Love scene. They try to. They try to capture that same magic. But overall... It's like most sequels. It's just, it just doesn't work as well. It, I, I'm longing for Wonder Woman, the original film. And this one takes a very different approach to superhero movies. So uh, first, let's talk about the things I love. Uh, Gal Gadot, as usual, her genuine pain, I believe. Her lessons learned, I think, are earned. Uh, there are two scenes in particular when she is vulnerable uh, fighting Cheetah, and when she leaves Steve and runs. Uh, they're both incredible, incredible scenes because her acting is so well. I think she really brought her A-game to this film, and I think she, again, like I said, she captures those lines, those that Christopher Reeve's campiness. She has a presence about her that speaks like truth, justice, kindness, and I believe it. Her chemistry with Steve Trevor is as good as always. I thought they would maybe do too much with the fish-out-of-water scenarios, but Chris Pine was a delight. And the scenes were very funny, so in the end, I didn't end up minding. Uh, he ended up being actually one of my favorite parts of the film. Uh, I like the scene where he's fighting Pedro Pascal, and he's like, ha, I just learned that. That, that was funny to me, so I, I appreciate Chris Pine in this film. Pedro Pascal, I can't talk enough about. I think he's the main thing I've been talking about. Anybody who talks about Wonder Woman 84, uh, Maxwell Lord may be my favorite DC villain at this point. Uh, not that there are many good ones in the DCEU. Just because of Pascal's performance, uh, he's chewing up scenery. He's a little campy at times, of course, but he's faking like a businessman kind of way. He also is falling deeper and deeper into insanity throughout the film, and I love it. I think you really needed the right actor for this character. I don't think this character works if you don't have the right actor, and Pedro Pascal was the right actor. If you're going to watch this film, if you're on the fence about it, I'd say watch it for Pedro Pascal alone. Uh, at the end of the day, he's just like a regular dude trying to be a success, but he is way in over his head. <laughs> and 
I like that. I like that there's this, this guy with too much power and he doesn't know what to do with it. You know, he's trying to, but he's just completely failing. And he's a good foil for Wonder Woman. Just a person who's trying to be a success through lies. It, it helps the lesson out. I think this film has a very insane plot when you think about it. And that's where a lot of the problems come from. Uh, there is a wishing stone. A man becomes that wishing stone. And then Wonder Woman gets her boyfriend back. And a woman becomes a cheetah. There's a lot of politics thrown in. Nukes. Uh, destruction. Everyone gets wishes. There's a golden bird suit. Wonder Woman makes an invisible jet. That's all in one movie. That's all just one movie. That That whole sentence was one movie. And that's where I think the suspension of disbelief goes out the door. Because there's too much that they're asking us to believe. Not just with all the magic, but then the logic within that magic. Like, everyone gets a wish, and then everyone has to announce that wish in order for, like, everything to go back to normal. You mean to tell me that everyone on this world agreed to not only get everything they wanted, but then have it taken away? Have you lived on Earth? Absolutely not. No, one, no, no. there's always going to be someone who says no, so absolutely not. I don't believe that. We have to talk about Cheetah now. <laughs> when they casted Kristen Wiig, I kind of knew what they were going to go for. I, I thought that they were going to spend more time on the friendship between her and Diana, though, because I didn't think Chris Pine would be a part of this film. I thought she would be like her friend in the film, and then she, we would see her slowly become a villain. And I think they don't show that enough, and that's why Cheetah doesn't end up working in the end. Cheetah feels a lot like another supervillain I compared to if you have me on Twitter at Action We Make Pod, you know I think she's exactly like Electro. There's a CGI mess. Uh, her motivations feel unearned. It's just because she's a loser. It, it, she's note for note Electro in Amazing Spider-Man 2. I can't tell you which one of them two did better because both are great actors and both are trying their best with the work, but the writing is not earned, so it doesn't feel real. I don't think Cheetah works in this film. And this is a criticism not only of this movie but of DC in general DC has these amazing villains that Marvel does not have like Cheetah like Black Manta like Joker Lex Luthor you know these amazing arch enemies of their main heroes and they use them so poorly often that it's a waste of time to bring in these characters it's just for like the action figures I feel like for them these characters like Lex Luthor, like Cheetah, like uh, Black Manta, who are the arch enemies, could come back in big ways and they always are playing second fiddle to another character. Cheetah doesn't deserve to be the second fiddle to Maxwell Lord. If you know the comics, Maxwell Lord is not that big of a character. I think Kristen Wiig could have been introduced in this film and then been the main villain of the third film. That would have been cool. But instead they have her be her whole Cheetah self in this movie through magic. And it's like, how is she going to get that power back? Will she ever be Cheetah again? I don't know. I really don't like when DC does this. They did it with a bunch of other villains. Black Manta was second to Ocean Master. You know, Lex Luthor was second to Doomsday. They do it all the time, and I don't particularly like it. Don't get me started on the Joker with Suicide Squad, but DC's got to stop doing that in general. But overall, I like this movie as well. I'm not going to rush to watch it again. I think it's worth a watch for Gal and Pedro Pascal, but other than that, it's an average middle-of-the-road superhero movie that you're going to eventually forget about because there's a lot of other ones. Compared to the last entries in the DCEU, like Aquaman, Birds of Prey, and Shazam, it's a bit of a step down. It's a little bit of a letdown, I'm not going to lie. But I think there's enough enjoyable 
things in it. If you like the Silver Age comics, you're going to like Wonder Woman 84, so go ahead and check it out on HBO Max. Now on to what I'm currently watching. I have started Season 2 of Titans, which I'm more than halfway through, and I have a lot of mixed feelings about the show. There is a lot of, oh, this is the last time I'm going to suit up. But everyone always comes back, so <laughs> there are characters that are sidelined for no reasons, not as much action as there could be, and villains like Shimmer and Dr. Light, which are big Teen Titans villains, aren't given enough time to develop. They also have villains like Deathstroke, which is pretty cool, and they tease the inclusion of Blackfire, but so far I wouldn't recommend this show. They have a couple of cool characters, but I don't think it's worth it. I'm just finishing it because I want to know how he looks as Nightwing in the suit and how he gets there. I know he's going to become Nightwing at the end of the season. That's the only reason why I'm watching it. That's it. So, <laughs> Uh, check out Titan Season 2 on HBO Max if you want to, but I definitely do not recommend thus far. Now we're on to Rewatch, where I watch a movie to get you ready for the next big thing in media. The next big thing being WandaVision, coming out January 15th on Disney+. Plus. I'm very excited for that show, so I have been watching the films to get you ready. The second film in Wanda and Vision's story is Civil War, one of my favorite superhero movies of all time. Maybe one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's definitely my favorite Captain America movie, so there's a lot less I dislike about this film compared to what I like about this film. So why don't I get started with what I didn't like about this film, starting with the supposed death that was supposed to happen, I believe. Basically, if you watch the first two trailers of this film, it heavily implies that Rhodey would take a big fall and possibly die. Uh, he does take a big fall, but he ends up just being paralyzed from the waist down which Tony is able to fix through technology anyway. So I don't think that point in the film has that big of an effect as it could have. Uh, if it was a death, I think it could have been more motivation for Tony and more drama as to why Tony and Steve don't exactly get along at the end of the film. Uh, because I feel like at the end of this film, Steve kind of wraps a little bow onto, you know, if you need me, I'll be there. But Tony never sends that message out. And I think if Rhodey would have died because of the injuries, it would have made more sense as to why he wouldn't trust Steve. The second thing I didn't like about this film are the Sokovia Accords, and not in just in general. I, I think the idea makes sense, but I think something that is interesting and impactful about the original comics is the Registration Act, and that conversation, I think, is more interesting than the conversation about the Sokovia Accords. So I think they should have stuck with the Registration Act. It could have been a way to bring in more heroes like Spider-Man, like daredevil like the defenders maybe it would have made more sense as opposed to tony just going and getting peter you know also the funeral in this movie kind of comes out of nowhere it's just kind of a text that comes in and then steve's at a funeral uh, i think it was a little clunky i think they could have done that a little bit better ant-man and winter soldier's costumes are downgrades in this film ant-man has a more teched up suit but i don't think it has that same 60s you know spaceman suit vibe that i loved from the first film it, it, it looks more comic accurate to scott lang but i didn't like it per se uh the winter soldier's costume looks like a jacket that he ripped his sleeve off of so i don't really like his suit in this i know that's a little small thing but i love costuming so i always notice these things hawkeye's costume for example while it's the best one that he's had in the series so far it isn't particularly interesting or close to the comics i want to see the cowl I've always wanted to see the Hawkeye cowl, and they never do it. Very sad about that. So they come close to this one, but they never do it. Similarly to the funeral, Pepper Potts' breakup with Tony 
is kind of a weird point that they throw in. I think it's more so to give the impression that Tony's having a rough time these past couple of weeks, but I don't think it's very needed. I guess maybe she would have been that person that he could have talked to about all this, but he doesn't have that anymore, so maybe it makes sense in the long run. But it's only for this movie. In the next movie, in Homecoming, she's there, so it's kind of weird. Sharon and Steve's kiss was kind of weird seeing it the first time in theaters, but it's even weirder now knowing that that's kind of his niece. So <laughs> it's still weird. I didn't like that part. Vision doesn't get enough fighting to do in the film, especially in the final battle. He's underutilized. I think that's because he's so powerful that he would have been taking up most of the fight, but Scarlet Witch is equally as powerful. So they could have had them two doing a lot of damage to each other, and that would have been really cool, but they never go out and do that. But other than that, I really love the film. So why don't we get into the things that I really like about this film. The New Avengers, which weren't very cool at the end of Age of Ultron. They're now a well-oiled machine in this film. You see Falcon and Wanda, who have learned to use their abilities much better. Falcon's suit has a bunch of upgrades. Wanda can, like, take gas out of a building. She can lift up explosions and almost stop them. She's a lot more powerful. So now that team is pretty cool to me. <laughs> Also, people argue that in the very first scene, why isn't Vision or War Machine there to help? I just want to say it's a covert mission. Of course, they wouldn't be there. War Machine is like a tank, and Vision is not discreet. So it, it wouldn't be the right mission for them. Crossbones is a very fun villain that they use in the beginning. His tech is fun. Uh, he's different. He's got a tank. His costume is very cool, and he's got real Bane vibes, so I really liked him in the beginning. The action, the chemistry, and the stakes in this film are much better than Age of Ultron. Uh, comparing the two, you really see why the Russo brothers had to take over for Whedon. The MCU was evolving past Whedon's skills, and Age of Ultron was just an example of that. I love the scene where uh, Charlie's mother, uh, Alfre Woodard from Luke Cage, the main villain of Luke Cage, she confronts Tony and really sets his actions into motion. That scene, it's a very human scene, it's realistic, and Alfre Woodard, I know she's only there for that one scene, but it's, it's really sad, and I think it's a good scene between the two actors really spot on. Wanda's dangerousness is brought up more in this film. She's getting more powerful and you see her more as a threat and I like that. This is where I finally started to like Wanda because I didn't like her in Age of Ultron. This one I'm starting to see more of her humanity. Uh, it's during these little moments she has with Vision in lockdown. Uh, I love those moments like her and him making pepper cash and uh, talking about what it means for people to be afraid of them. Uh, I think they have a very innocent in cute chemistry and I like that. I think every character's motivation in this film for which side they join uh, makes a lot of sense. I remember when they announced who would be in this film I started thinking about who would be on whose side and the only two characters I got wrong were Black Widow and Hawkeye because I assumed Hawkeye would join Iron Man because he is you know he's always been with S.H.I.E.L.D. so it makes sense for him. Black Widow's always been a spy so it makes sense for her to be more of a rebel but they switch it around. Hawkeye is more loyal to Steve and Black Widow is just trying to keep the team together and both of those make sense to those characters so I was cool with that. The casting of Zemo I think is very underappreciated uh, in general. Daniel Bruel does a great performance among all the chaos in the film even though he doesn't have as much to do as other characters he doesn't get those big action sequences he doesn't get the costume he doesn't get all of the other cool things that other people get but he is just doing great with the little bit that he has and he's genuine in his pain and in his anger and I love him in the role. I'm very excited for him in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The introduction of Black Panther along with seeing him not only be on the hunt but like angry and mourning. 
this is like my favorite Black Panther movie because it really shows uh, Chadwick's best performance. He is reckless in this film and he exposes Wakanda to the Avengers through his recklessness. It makes a lot of sense as to why Black Panther would be seen by the Avengers in this movie because he is just trying to kill Winter Soldier. He doesn't care about anything else right now. He just wants revenge. The Black Panther Winter Soldier rivalry is one of the best in the films. It gives us that awesome car chase scene which is not talked about enough in the MCU. It's probably the best car chase scene and it gives us some of the best actions in the airport, in the building when Winter Soldier is out of control. Those are some of the best scenes between Black Panther and Witcher Soldier. The suits of both Black Panther and Spider-Man are both impressive and original, which feel very much in the world of the MCU. I love the Spider-Man suit, the eyes moving, the little bits of Steve Ditko in there. I love that suit, but the Black Panther suit as well is incredible. It sets the tone for the next suit, which I love even more. It's got that little bit of Wakandan culture in it, and I love it. Tom Holland's intro as the new Spider-Man was seamless in this movie. He is in one scene between Tony and Peter that I completely love. It's probably my favorite Tony Stark and Peter scene besides, you know, Peter's death in Infinity War. I, I just love their chemistry. They, they immediately understand each other and, you know, the whole, like, what gets you out of that bed in the morning. I, I love that, that little speech. So with all the new stuff in this film, you would assume, you know, Black Panther would be the best part of this film, or maybe Spider-Man would be the best part of this film, or maybe the action, or, or whatever. But no, the best part of this film, by far, is Paul Rudd. He is phenomenal as Ant-Man in this film. He he is a scene-stealer. He is by far the funniest part of the movie. Giant Man is such a good, impressive, funny <laughs> uh, part of the action. It really changes, it shifts the momentum of the battle him talking and taking apart Iron Man's uh, suit from the inside that was hilarious you know you, do you have any orange slices those are some of the most quotable parts of any Marvel movie and it's all from Paul Rudd it showed me that Paul Rudd's Ant-Man was always going to be better as a team player than opposed to his movies his movies are fun but he is always better in ensemble casts and this showed it I think this is the movie where the Russo brothers went Ant-Man should be a bigger part of Endgame uh, the whole airport scene is very impressive if I had any grievances about it, I wish it were bigger, uh, like the comics. I think they could have brought in characters like Wasp, Hulk, Thor, Quicksilver, if they hadn't killed him off. You know, they could have brought in some Defenders, maybe. They could have brought in some people from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., even. But they didn't end up doing that, and I think that's a little bit of a waste. But it was still a cool scene. Tony's revelation that Bucky killed his parents is one of the best acted and most heartbreaking scenes in the MCU. RDJ is just at the peak of his powers. In that moment... It's so good because it's let up well. It's phenomenal. The music, the fighting, the, there's not one joke. It's all pain, anger, and revenge. And that's exactly what it needed to be at the end of this film. That's what puts it apart from movies like Batman vs. Superman where they all team up at the end and it's dumb. There's no stakes. This one had stakes. And it's that emotional hit at the end of the film that is done well because of RDJ. I don't think this film would have worked without him. Well, of course it wouldn't. He's the main, like, antagonist, but, you know, without an actor like RDJ, of course. And it shows that the Russos really know how to do action, suspense, and drama while throwing in a little bit of comedy to lighten the mood. It is, the like, the essential MCU movie. Let me know what you guys think. Do you guys like Captain America Civil War? Is it one of your favorite Marvel movies? Let me know what you like about it. I thought I'd leave you guys with a recommendation, as I usually do. I was thinking a movie this week because it's the end of the year. I think we all need a good feel-good movie. And I was thinking about this one because of Paul Rudd. He plays 
one of my favorite teachers in any movie ever in a film called Perks of Being a Wallflower. It's actually one of my sister's favorite films. It's also based off a book that is very good. It stars Logan Lerman, Emma Watson, Ezra Miller. It's an excellent cast. It's on Netflix right now. It's definitely a feel-good movie with a little bit of sadness, a little bit of darkness, like most movies do. But I think at the end of the day, you're going to end up really liking it. It's going to make you feel bad and sad and think. But of course, at the end, you're going to feel a lot better. It's about a kid who has no friends and he is just trying to make his way through high school. And he meets a group of seniors and he gets very close to them. That's all you really need to know. They become very good friends. It's a lot of drama, a lot of funny parts. You'll definitely like it. Just go ahead and check it out on Netflix. It's a fun movie. It's a quick watch. Go and enjoy it. And that's all I really had for you this week um, and this year, I guess. <laughs> it's been pretty fun so far. I want to keep doing this as much as I possibly can. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you so much. If you haven't already, please check us out on Facebook at Live Action Remake or on Instagram at Live Action Remake. I'm also on Twitter now at Action Remake Pod. And if you like the podcast, please tell a friend. Let them know that you like it. <laughs> tell them to listen up. Check us out every now and then once a week. Let me know if you watch Perks of Being a Wallflower. Let me know if you're excited for WandaVision or any of the movie news, TV news this week. If you have any questions, recommendations, anything you want to tell me at all, email me at liveactionremakepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening this year. I've had such a good time with all y'all. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Do what you love. I'm signing out for the last time in 2020. I'll see you all in 2021.